0: That's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. Today we're gonna talk about the idea of I want to make a difference. How do I do that? And you know, I would guess that for all of us, we would know internally, every single one of us would know internally, there is this desire to make a difference with our life. People ask that rhetorical question all the time. Does my life matter? What difference does my life make? What's the purpose for my life? Vanity, vanity, all is vanity, said the writer of Ecclesiastes. Meaningless, meaningless. It's all just meaningless was his woe in the book of Ecclesiastes. And so it is part of just our human, human nature to ask those kinds of questions. Like, why am I here? What's my purpose? How can I make a difference? And we're going to get into, you know, some of, the, some of the things that God wants us to understand. How it works, how it doesn't work in some ways. Of course, it's a huge subject. But... It's internally built into us. The Bible says that God has divinely implanted a sense of purpose inside the heart of each and every person and nothing under the sun, but only God himself can satisfy what he's put in us. He's the only one that can scratch the itch. And the way he does is with your purpose. It's with this sense of satisfaction and fulfillment that he put in you to want to have when you and I walk out our purpose, but sometimes I think, we think, at least I know I have over the years, thought that fulfilling the purpose or the destiny or God's calling or whatever was like this finish line. Get to the finish line and do this thing. But it turns out, we're going to see, it's not just the finish line. There is, there is you know, kind of like, ta-da! You know, there is that, but it's actually the journey. Is actually the whole process along the way is your purpose. <laughs> it is your destiny and you are making a difference all along the way. So we're gonna look at four seasons, four stages, if you will, four tests that God has us take, has us pass. Four seasons we are in. Some seasons are longer than the others. Some seasons we can control the duration of that season to a degree. We can make it longer. Sometimes we can shorten it up just a little. Some are just divinely appointed seasons. They just are what they are and it's just time some things just take time. You can't have history with God or with people or in life unless you have history. And that just takes time, some of these things. So we'll get into it. Four things we're going to look at today. Talking about, I want to make a difference. We're going to look at, be faithful in the basics. Be faithful with the bullies. Be faithful with the brave. And be faithful as a boss. As a boss. Be faithful. I want to make a difference, how do I do it? Number one, be faithful in the basics. If you've got your Bible, let's go over to 1 Samuel 16. We're gonna take just a kind of a hopscotch look at a story in the Bible looking at a person and his journey and that person is David who became King David, but let's look at his journey. What is it we can learn about how he stepped into his destiny, his purpose, he made a difference, but what was the journey, the test, those seasons along the way that are very much like what God will take us through. Number one, be faithful in the basics, all right, First Samuel 16, verse one. Now, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons, all right? Verse one. So Samuel is a prophet, and up until this time, prior to Saul being king, There there was just one king of Israel, and that king was God. God was the only king. He was their king. But because the other nations had a king, the Israelites began to ask God for a king. We want a king. Well, they had a king. God was their king. But the Lord eventually responded to their unbelief and to their plea and gave them a king, King Saul. So King Saul was the first king of Israel. And the Bible tells us that when Saul was little in his own eyes, God liked that. He said, Saul, when you were little in your own eyes, I was able to select you out to become a king. There was something about humility, something about being small in your own eyes, something about not thinking you're all that, that the Lord likes. And he picked Saul to be the first king. But then Saul got big in his own eyes. Then Saul thought he was all that. And so then he lost the kingdom. The Lord rejected him as king, and now God's getting ready to pick king number two. King number two is going to be David. David at this time is around, they say, between 10 and 13 years old. And he's one of the sons of Jesse. And Samuel, the prophet, is going to go to Jesse's house to see about which one of these boys might be the king. So that's where we pick it up, verse 6. So it was, when they came, that he, Samuel, looked at Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. For the Lord said... But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, for I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So, like, never forget that. That's that's a basic. That's a big basic. The Lord always looks at the heart. Man looks at the outside. Man looks at all the natural things, but the Lord's always looking at the heart. What's going on in that person's heart? What's their character like? What's their humility like? Humility-like, what's going on in the heart? Uh, verse eight, so Jesse called Abinadab. Another son made him pass before Samuel, and he said, nope, the Lord has not chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. So all the sons of Jesse pass in front of Samuel, and the Lord says, nope, it's not in any of these boys. He says, Are all the young men here? Then Jesse said, Well, there remains yet the youngest. And there he is, keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. Now he, David, was ruddy, with bright eyes, and good looking. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So you get a lot going on in this story, but a couple of things we can learn. Be, be faithful in the basics. Well, a couple things. The Lord sees differently than we see. The Lord's looking at the heart. And Samuel comes to Jesse's house, and Jesse does what would be obvious. Well, here's all the older boys. Here's all the older brothers. They're big, they're good looking, they're talented. And Samuel... Takes a look and the Lord says, no, it's none of these. And it's funny with the Lord, we found this to be the case. It was the case in this story, but many of you will find this to be the case in life. It's funny, the Lord sometimes helps us, allows us to go through a process, even leads us in a process sometimes, where he helps us discover what it isn't before he tells us what it is. In other words, the Lord knew all along it was David. He knew David was out in the field tending sheep. Why did Samuel have to go through this whole process of going through all the sons to know which one it isn't? Until he said, oh, it's, it is David. Why the process? Probably a lot of reasons. Maybe David needed to know that. Maybe David was insecure and would have been intimidated. Like, why me? I mean, it should, be, it should be my older brothers. Maybe he needed to know, no, the Lord already said it isn't any of them. Maybe the older brothers needed that. Maybe the older brothers needed to know it isn't any of us. It's David. And there could be a host of reasons, but sometimes we have found the Lord lets us Discover what it isn't by letting us experiment sometimes with options, a potential job, a potential city, a potential relationship, a potential whatever the case might be, calling, major in college, you know, travel experience. And you have that and you're like, nope, that's not it. Nope, that's not, that's not the person. Nope, that's not the job. Nope, that's not the city. Sometimes you have to get it out of your system. And I don't mean through sin, I just mean through life. You have to get some things out of your system so that when you do land on it, there's no regrets, there's no looking over your shoulder, there's no second guessing. It's like, nope, rock solid, right smack dab where God wants us. This is it. This is it. This is what happened with David. He was anointed as the it guy. This is the one. And then he was anointed. Now here's what's interesting. How old was he? Between 10 and 13. He's anointed called God's hand is on him, recognized to be the king. But it's gonna be many years until he's actually appointed into that position. I think sometimes you know, we do definitely live in a microwaved culture, don't we? We want things now, immediately, if not sooner. I mean, we just want things now. Sometimes in our Christian experience, we think that same reality applies, and it doesn't. Who has found out God is not in a hurry, ever? He's not in a hurry. He's never in a hurry. The clock, Lord, the the clock is striking midnight. God, we need a miracle. He is not freaking out in heaven. He is never in a hurry. He's never late, but he's never early. He's just always right on time. Always just right on time. So David, he's being faithful in this season until the time of his appointing. What's going to happen during these years? Number one, he's faithful, faithful in the basics. For him, what did that mean? He was a shepherd boy. He was tending his father's sheep. He was being faithful to his dad. His dad asked him to, there was a need. Something natural had to be done. It wasn't very glamorous. It wasn't very exciting. It was smelly. It was stinky. As you know, sheep are dumb. So as a shepherd, you're always trying to round up sheep, find lost sheep. Had to protect the sheep because the bear and the lions we read about would try to come and kill the sheep or snatch the sheep away and David had to kill a lion and a bear the Bible tells us had to be pretty proficient with the sling got really good with the sling and he was just faithful out in the field and maybe all of his friends maybe all of his other friends they were off doing really exciting things because there's like so much stuff going on in these other places and and but there's nothing going on in the field except these dumb sheep it could be tempting to leave the place of faithfulness in the basics now here's the thing god knew how to find david david was not lost (laughs) god knew right where he was and you have to you and i we have to rest in that we have to find some comfort and rest lord you know what you've called me to do you know the assignment the destiny the purpose you know how you want me to make a difference and so right now god i can make a difference for these sheep I can make a difference at this job. I can make a difference volunteering with the kids. I can make a difference on the worship team. I can make a difference in the traffic team. I can make a difference at Stryker. I can make a difference at Western. I can make a difference somewhere in my community. I can be faithful in the field. You know right where I'm at, I am not lost. And the Lord was able to get to David. That's the cool part. I mean, Samuel and Jesse did everything in their power to keep David hidden. Not even, nobody's even aware there is a younger son. They try to do everything, and sometimes people, you know, inadvertently, but sometimes people can almost do everything to keep you invisible. But the Lord knows where you are. He knows how to call you out of the field and put his finger on you at the right time. You have to rest in that. You have to make your own way. You don't have to be all frustrated, like, oh, we gotta go do something, because things are happening everywhere, and we're just here with the dumb sheep. Stay with the dumb sheep, because the Lord needs to find you there. To be faithful in basic things. How does that translate for you and I? Because obviously we're not, a lot of us aren't sheep herders, although a few in the church are. (laughs) But for the rest of us, what do we do? It just means be faithful in the areas of your life. In your job. Be faithful at your job. Be faithful with your spouse. Be faithful with your kids. Be a faithful mom. Be a faithful dad. Be faithful to the Lord. Be faithful in your time with the Lord. Be faithful to pray, be faithful to seek God and get his opinion on things first before you have an opinion. Lord, what's your opinion? Because my opinion is gonna be yours. That's being faithful in something really basic. Being faithful with your emotions. When you just feel like having a meltdown and being a drama queen, be faithful to control it. Lord, we're not gonna do that. That is what you do when you're in middle school. That's not what you do when you're 50 or 30 or 40 or really any other age other than middle school. <laughs> right? That's being faithful in basic things. Get a get a grip on yourself. <laughs> but it's true, isn't it? I remember so many seasons over the course of our lives when the Lord's like, I need you to be faithful in some basics. You know, it might be paying your bills. It's like, hey, pay your bills. Hey, get a job. Hey, clean your house. Hey, clean that bathroom. Hey, mow your lawn. Those are basic things. You think those are that's dumb. Nobody cares about that. God does. Because you're a witness for Christ. You're an example, somebody's watching you. Well, the Lord is, but so are people around you. They're watching, what kind, what kind of a difference is Christ making in your life? And the, the basics test is one you have gotta pass. Because do not pass go, do not collect $200, is what happens if you don't pass that one. You just keep going around the mulberry bush. Being faithful with your money, faithful with your diet, faithful with your health faithful with your mind, faithful with your spiritual life. And all the people said, so David, what's he doing in the field? He's being faithful. Just being faithful with all those natural things, all those boring natural things. But one thing he did do, we know for sure, he had to have spent time slinging that sling. He had to have spent time practicing. Back in the day in the military, they had people that did different kinds of um, maneuvers, different kinds of military exercises and one of the groups of people were called slingers. They literally would use a slingshot with rocks and they got really, really good at it, like sniper good. And you have to imagine, David's out there and he's like, well, I'm gonna hone my craft. I'm gonna hone some gifts I have. I'm gonna practice with my sling. And he probably would try to hit trees and branches and leaves and birds and rabbits. Probably practiced a lot with that sling to get just super precise. He probably practiced a lot on his harp. The Bible says he was a worshiper. He was a musical songwriter, a lot of the psalms he wrote. He's just getting practical and faithful in basic things. Because those are the very things God was eventually going to use. And listen, young people, millennials in particular, but all of us really, listen, the, the season you're oftentimes in the longest is this one. This is the one you want out of the quickest. This is the one you're like, okay, is it are we done? Are we cooked? And the Lord's like, nope, I still have some areas I want you to work on. Because your effectiveness is only going to be as good as the degree to which you have been faithful in the basics. Those of you that are in construction, you know you can only build a skyscraper as high as the foundation will support. You can be a mushroom in six months. You can be an oak tree in 30. It Takes time for roots to go down. It takes time for character to be developed. It takes time for you to pass test and become mature spirit, soul, and body in your physical health, financially, your reputation. The Bible has a lot to say about your reputation amongst the people you work with, the people you live next to. There's something about a reputation God cares about it. And you might say, oh man, my reputation is terrible. I need to move to another town. Well, it's possible the Lord might move you. <laughs> but what if he doesn't? Awesome, you have the opportunity to show the people that see all your have seen over the years your bad reputation, you have the opportunity now to say, this is the difference Christ makes. This is what Jesus does. I am I'm just being faithful in some basic things here. So David, faithful in these basic things, now he gets an opportunity because there's a giant named Goliath who's been taunting the children of Israel and David now gets an opportunity to be the guy to kill the giant. Nobody else would step up to the plate and David's like, what? What? Is there not a cause? He got stirred up, he got passionate about doing something to honor the name of the Lord God who the Philistine Goliath was demeaning, was blaspheming. He steps up to the plate, and all he's got is what he's been doing in the basics. He's got a harp, and he's got a sling. And he takes that sling, and as the battle goes, you, know, you guys know the story, goes down into the battle, he's going to face Goliath, takes that sling, and boom, Shoots that rock out of his sling, and experts say it was literally like a bullet, like a 45, and had the stopping power to drop a bear. Well, Goliath was a big bear. David practiced all that when he was being faithful in the basics. Don't ever despise that season. Hone your craft. Do you have a gift? Do you have a talent? Do you have a skill? This is the time to hone it. This is the time to get expert at it. Do you have a family? All of us do at some level. This is the time to develop those relationships with your family. Make sure it's all good with the family. Your emotions, your mind, your spirit, as we have mentioned. Then what was the next test, the next season that David experienced? It was the season of being faithful with the bullies. Because here's what's interesting. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, 1 Corinthians sixteen nine. Here's what happens. God comes along, he anoints David. He's going to be the guy, just like he's called you. He's got a destiny and a purpose for you. Something and you get stirred up. But one of the very first things that happens is opposition. First Corinthians 16, 9, the apostle Paul wrote this. He said, for a wide door of opportunity for effectual service has opened to me. There, a great and promising one. And there are many adversaries. He's saying, man, there's a great door of opportunity to preach the gospel. The apostle Paul's got this big door opened up And there are many adversaries. And just be be aware, be mindful that as the Lord opens up doors for you, as opportunities come along, while you're being faithful in the basics, you just live in your life, and then a wide door of opportunity opens up. God calls you to something. His hand is on you. You sense the call. You sense mission. Be advised. Almost immediately, the enemy will send an adversary or a tribulation, or a trial, there are many adversaries. For example, many of you know when we tried to get into building this building here on this property, we were over at 995 Romance Road, it was a great building. A wide door of opportunity opened for us to buy this property, the cathedral, and 30 acres. And we were excited and thrilled and just elated for about a minute. Because immediately, there were adversaries. Immediately, the enemy stirred up all kinds of things to try to shut down the project to try to shut down the construction of this building. And I just wonder, I'm like, Lord, thank you so much for the grace and the support we could press on through because if we hadn't pressed on through, how many of you wouldn't be sitting here? Well, all of us because this building wouldn't be here. (laughs) You got to press on through, but there will be adversaries. So don't be discouraged by that. Take it as a compliment. If you feel adversarial things coming against you, it's like, oh my gosh, I can't get a break. Things just come at me. Well, number one, check yourself and go, Lord, am I causing this? Like, what am I doing wrong? Where do I need to make some adjustments here in the basics? And number two, Lord, I'll take it as a compliment. The enemy must be threatened enough. He's trying to shut me down. He's trying to close these big wide open doors that you just opened. But I'm going to stand strong in Jesus' name, faithful in the basics. And all the people said, then come the bullies. Okay, well, the bully, in this case, David had conquered Goliath. So Goliath, it turns out, wasn't the bully. The bully, it turns out, was Saul, someone he knew quite well, the one that he had replaced, the one who had sent him to fight Goliath. Let's look at this, being faithful with the bullies. First Samuel eighteen, six through twelve. Now it happened as they were coming home from the battle with Goliath, when David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistine, that the women had come out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy, and with musical instruments. So the women sang as they danced and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his 10,000s. Then Saul was very angry and the saying displeased him. And he said, they've ascribed to David 10,000s. And to me, they've only ascribed thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? So Saul eyed David from that day forward. That's a big phrase right there. He eyed him with jealousy. And it happened on the next day, interesting, The very next day, a distressing spirit from God came upon Saul. God had to permit this distressing spirit to come upon Saul. And he prophesied in the house. So David played music with his hand as at the other times, but there was a spear in Saul's hand. You want to make sure that music is always in your hand, not a spear. And Saul cast this spear, for he said, I will pin David to the wall. But David escaped his presence twice. Now Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him but he had departed from Saul. So we get this picture here. They've come back from the triumph of defeating Goliath and everybody's excited and they're singing, David has killed Goliath. You know, he's got his 10,000, Saul his thousands. So Saul is getting kudos. It's just not enough kudos. Why are they giving this young punk kudos? They say at this point, David might've been 16 or 17 years old. When he killed Goliath. Okay, so a few years now into his anointing, if you will, his calling, making a difference. And now Saul is jealous and envious of David getting all these kudos, all this praise. It's like, I'm the king. I killed thousands, I killed 10,000. Who's this? Who's this kid getting all this credit? The difference between envy and jealousy, let's just talk about it for a minute. The, the evil twins, envy and jealousy. Envy says, I want what you have. I have a painful or resentful awareness of an advantage you enjoy. Well, the world we live in right now, we're gonna talk about social media in just a minute. We live in a world where it's really easy for people to see what's going on with everybody. And envy and jealousy are probably at an all-time high in the culture and sadly, even in the church. Jealousy, I don't want you to have what you have. You're my rival, I'm hostile. Towards you having what you have, envy. I want what you have. Jealousy. I don't want you to have what you have. They're both bad. They're both selfish. They're both. They're both as if God isn't the God of more than enough. They're both as if God's not the God of surplus. They're both as if He's not the God of the John 10:10. 10, 10. I have come, Jesus said, that you might have life, and that you might have it to the full in abundance until it overflows. It's as if those that get caught up in jealousy and envy have forgotten that he's the God of the overflow of the too much, of the more than enough, of you're in the same line, amen? You're in the same line. Well, they got theirs first, but you're in the same line. Maybe they passed the test sooner. Maybe God's been watching them for a longer amount of time in the field being faithful in the basics than he's been watching you. Maybe, maybe, and maybe. A lot of maybes. But our job isn't to be concerned about what this man shall do. Our job is to be concerned about what we shall do. Amen. And so what you want to do is you don't want to have a spear in your hand and have an evil eye towards people and be jealous of their life, their marriage, their kids, their job, their money, their house, their vacations, their stuff. Come on somebody. You want to celebrate and cheer on and rejoice with those who rejoice, the Bible says, knowing you're in the same line if you're a person of faith and if you're willing to be faithful in the basics and with the bullies. And all the people said, What else? Can we learn about this? A couple things. Um, David was a worshiper. What was cool is even while Saul's trying to pin him to the wall with a spear, David kept a harp in his hand while Saul had a spear. Be mindful of two things. If people are trying to spear you, if you feel that, people are trying to spear you with words or comments or um, detaching from you, or you name it, their silence and or their words, whatever the case, that would be the spear. If you feel that coming against you, your job is don't put a spear in your hand. Your job is keep the harp in your hand and keep worshiping God. Keep your heart tender towards the Lord, amen? And if you happen to see some other things that other people are being blessed with, don't be tempted and don't yield to the temptation to pick up a spear, And be accusatory or suspicious or mean-spirited or opinionated or all the stuff that's going to make you flunk the bullies test. So let's talk about it for just a bit. Because like I said, we're in a culture of social media. We're in a huge, massive culture of comparison. More than ever, we have the access to everything. And so through social media, we can see what's going on, you know, in so many places, and the enemy uses it. It's a blessing. It's a blessing to have the technology and to be able to connect with people, but the enemy also uses it to help us become dissatisfied, disgruntled, discouraged, depressed, hope deferred makes the heart sick. How come all that's happening for them? And what about me? We get into pity parties. We get into the molly grubs. I mean, You can just go right down into the spiral. So let's look at what the Bible says about it. Galatians 6.4, pay careful attention to your own work. Then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. 2 Corinthians 10.12, for we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves. But they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. Listen, if you spend too much time on social media and we all enjoy it because it's the way we connect and it's just the way of the world we live in, if you're a business, if you have a brand, if you're a church, a ministry, an organization, a for-profit, a non-profit, a team, a university, any of those things, there's very likely you have a pretty good footprint somewhere on the internet, somewhere on social media, and as you need to. But the problem is this comparison thing. And so, so often, as it has been said, we're looking at everybody else's highlight reel I mean, because who posts the ugly pictures? <laughs> with filters, with effects. You just post the pretty ones, of course. That's what, that's what social media is about. So just know that and don't compare yourself amongst yourselves and become discouraged. Sometimes, you know, people, when it comes to social media, that you say, well, what parts of social media can discourage people? What, what parts does the enemy use to discourage people? You can see stuff on social media and you can go, well, how come they're hanging out? How did, they, who, how did they get to know those people? How come they're all hanging out? How come they all got invited to that thing? How come I didn't get invited to that thing? When did they all meet? What kind of a, what kind of a vacation is that? <laughs> I like those shoes. <laughs> I mean, on and on and on and on, right? I mean, you just see stuff. And you have to guard and go, Lord, you know right where I'm at. You know I'm in the field t- tending the sheep. You know right where I'm at. You'll have me to be at the right place at the right time with the right people doing the right stuff. And so I don't need to strive. I don't need to be envious or jealous of other people. I have a calling and a destiny. Your hand is on me. And if I'll be faithful to the basics and faithful to the bullies, and the bullies in this story is Saul trying to kill David, but in your world, who's, who's trying to throw spears at you? Well, it's the enemy, number one. The biggest bully you have to resist is the devil because he's trying to discourage you. But then you may have people that the enemy's using to try to come against you as well with their opinion, with criticism, with negativity, with, the, with the envy and jealousy. I mean, you know, we've kiddingly said it before, but sometimes you just have to unfriend some people. There's this button, unfollow. I mean, it's rare, but there have been a few occasions just because of negativity had to just say, I can't have this in my life. Just have to, er, Be faithful with bullies. Try to love them, and if that doesn't work, you unfollow. (laughs) (laughs) I'm really kind of serious. (laughs) Well, let's look at a video, because this really does paint the picture of this world we live in and how it's just become so overwhelming, this whole thing of comparison. So let's take a look at the Instagram husband. (coughs) My name is Jeff, and I'm an Instagram husband. Behind every cute girl on Instagram is a guy like me and a brick wall. My name's Trey. I'm an Instagram husband. I've had to delete all of the apps off my phone just to make more room for more photos. Hi, I'm Nate, and I'm an Instagram husband. I love my life so much. My job in pictures is to make her look good. I want you to just take a picture like, like higher. No, higher, higher, higher. Babe, higher. I'm basically a human selfie stick. Go. Last year for Christmas, I actually got her a selfie stick and then she got mad at me because she thought I was just trying to get out of taking photos. Doing in here? Taking a picture of all your stuff? Yeah, this is a good moment. I support that. Oh wait, just a second. I should probably comment on this. It helps me out if I'm the first one to comment. Cute. It's become a pretty big problem. Um, we take so long to get anywhere, because we're taking pictures of our feet. Oh, shoe pick, shoe pick. No, this one's better. No, no, stop, stop. Move your foot. Okay, can we hold hands? One more, one more. I like this leaf right here. Yeah, we used to eat our food. Now we just take pictures of it. No! You can't do that! I haven't taken a shot of that yet! God, we have to show everybody how much we enjoy our lives together. Yeah, it's really enjoyable. If you or someone you know is an Instagram husband, help is out there go to instagramhusband.com and see how millions of men just like you have found hope instagram husband well it's great to have a lot of followers and a lot of influence in social media just use the influence for the lord just make sure the influence you're you're getting and gaining isn't so that you do the downfall of saul When he was small in his own eyes, God could use him. But once he got big in his own eyes, then he lost the anointing and lost his ability to be used by God. So go for it. If you can grow and develop your social media influence, go for it. 100% do it. But just you stay small, let Jesus be big. And all the people said, Amen. amen. All right, number three, be faithful with the brave. Be faithful with the brave in your world. That'll make sense here in just a minute. So David is now being chased by Saul. He's jealous, he's a bully, he's envious. He doesn't want David to succeed or be king, but he knows he's going to be. And so now Saul is chasing David. As it turns out, Saul chases David for seven years, seven-ish years. There are 12 attempts on David's life that Saul directed either directly or indirectly to try to take David out. And every time that David had the opportunity to take Saul out, which he had two opportunities to kill Saul, he didn't do it. He said, I'm not going to touch God's anointed. I'm not going to touch what God has anointed. We do see that Saul, because he did touch God's anointed, David, we see with Saul, a distressing spirit came on him immediately. When he eyed David, the one who God had anointed to be the king, when he eyed him and put a spear in his hand, the Bible says that immediately, the very next day, Saul became distressed and oppressed by an evil spirit. So you don't want to be that person. But that's what's happening to Saul. And he's chasing David down now for seven plus years trying to kill him. And so David is hiding in all different kinds of places. We find David here at the cave of Adullam, 1 Samuel 22. David therefore departed and escaped to the cave of Adullam. So when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went there to him. And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, everyone who was discontented gathered to him. So he became the captain over them and there were about 400 men with him. So it's kind of a funny group when you think about it. God's watching David's faithfulness. David, how did you handle the basics? How did you handle the bully? Did good with the bully. You handled that with integrity. You behaved wisely. How are you going to handle the brave? Well, the first group of brave that comes along looks like the broken brave. Discontent, in debt, in distress, broken people. All came running to David. We'll be your people, David. You be our captain. And you know, oftentimes in our lives, God will see how are we going to be faithful with the relationships he brings into our lives. And you know, most of the time, often, most of the time, God doesn't bring the perfect people, the pretty people, the well-adjusted people, the people with no problems. You know why? Because they don't exist. God always brings broken people into our world, the broken toys. He he always brings broken toys into our world. And then he says, okay, I'm going to watch your faithfulness. Let me see what you do. Do you shun them? Are you too cool for them? You compassionate toward them? Will you pray for them? Will you have coffee with them? Will you disciple them? Will you lead them to Christ? What are you gonna do with the broken brave in your world? And we see David pass the test because the group grew to 600 and then to so many it was an army. We'll see that in just a minute. And then they were transformed. They didn't stay broken. Then they became the transformed brave. The brave brave. The brave hearts. They were transformed, and, and they could all fight pretty well. They all were pretty good with weapons, we find out. They'd been also practicing with their sling and with their sword, and, and they were pretty good with their craft. They were pretty good with their skill set. And they came and surrounded David to be on his side. But David had to pass the test. What would he do to mentor the broken brave? What would he do to model to them? What it's like to be a leader. What it's like to know the Lord. What it's like to be a worshiper. What, what is it like to be a guy who sings with a harp? Who, but also a soldier who can take out Goliath. He had to model that to these guys. And then we see something that happens. This group grew, First Chronicles 12, verse 1. The following men joined David at Ziklag while he was hiding from Saul, still on the run, they were among the warriors who fought beside David in battle. All of them were expert archers, and they could shoot arrows and sling stones with their left hand as well as their right. Lots of brave guys there. Jump down to verse 17. David asked them a question, and this is part of that. Being faithful with the brave, being a good team leader, being, being a good coach, a good mentor, a good team player. David asked him a question, verse 17. He went out to meet them and said, if you've come in peace to help me, we are friends. But if you've come to betray me to my enemies when I'm innocent, then may the God of our ancestors see it and punish you. Then the spirit came upon Amasai, the leader of the 30, and said, We are yours, David. We are on your side, son of Jesse. Peace and prosperity be with you and success to all who help you, for God is the one who helps you. They recognize God's anointing on David. Verse 22, day after day, more men joined until he had a great army like the army of God. They were eager to see David become king instead of Saul, just as the Lord had promised. David was now in process stepping into the very thing he'd been anointed for at 13 years of age-ish. He's now beginning to step into it, and the people around him are recognizing it, and David is being a good model. There's a story in here, these guys at Ziklag, they went out on a raid, when they came back, their whole city had been burned down and their wives and children taken, and the men of that time, this mighty men was really mad at David, very disappointed with David, and, and David now had to model what do you do when you have trouble? What do you do when there's difficulty? Do you get mad at God? Do you get mad at people? Do you post something out on Facebook? What do you do when things don't go your way? What do you do when you've been faithful and people turn on you? And the Bible says David encouraged himself in the Lord, and they saw him model how you behave if you're brave. Amen. And so then what happened? They recognized this calling on their lives to help David. And David recognized his calling to help them. And then we get into the fourth season. Before we go there, look at this verse in Galatians. Because I think this would be a good word for some of you. Galatians 2.9. I think this is a good one. And, and, you know, we talk about length of seasons. I think these two seasons are the longest. The faithful in the basics and faithful with the brave. I think these are, ends up being the two longest seasons. Because there's so much character development. There's so many things God's working out and working in. In that process, he's using us. But now David is getting ready to step into you know, the finish line, if you will, that thing for which he was anointed back in the day, and now he's about to be appointed. And this verse in Galatians helps us. The apostle Paul said this concerning his life. He said, and when they knew these pillars of the church at the time, in his story and when they knew perceived recognized understood and acknowledged the grace God's unmerited favor and spiritual blessing that had been bestowed upon me James and Cephas Peter and John who were reputed to be pillars of the Jerusalem church gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship with the understanding that we would go to the Gentiles Paul was called to be an apostle way back in Acts chapter 9 The Apostle Paul. But then, the Apostle Paul, you may not know this, but the Apostle Paul had about 17 years of separation from the pillars. He was in the desert for about three years. And in this period of 17 years, he's growing in God. He's being faithful. He's passing tests. He's being faithful with the basics, being faithful with the bullies, being faithful with the brave. Paul is passing tests. And it wasn't until we get to this verse in Galatians where he says, and... When they perceived and recognized and acknowledged the grace that was on me, I knew it was on me all the time. God knew it was on me all the time. But it takes, in order for you to step into the fullness of making a difference, of the destiny, the purpose, it's gonna take others recognizing the grace. Christianity is a team sport, nobody can do it alone. It's gonna take others recognizing the grace. And Paul had to wait until some other people recognized the grace that was on him and the pillars of the church did recognize what was on him. 17 years for Paul, 40 years for Moses, 30 years for Jesus. So sometimes you just go, "Ah, okay Lord, I'm just gonna rest and trust and be faithful. Amen. Finally, let's wrap it up. Number four, be faithful. As a boss. Now David's going to be appointed as king. In 2 Samuel 5, verse 1. Then all the tribes of Israel went to David at Hebron and told him, We are your own flesh and blood. In the past, when Saul was our king, you were the one who really led the forces of Israel. And the Lord told you, You will be the shepherd of my people Israel. You will be Israel's leader. So, there at Hebron, King David made a covenant before the Lord with all the elders of, the, of Israel. And they anointed him king of Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 40 years in all. It's interesting, a lot happened in that first 30 years, didn't it? Passed a lot of tests. The Bible says over and over about David, he was a man after God's own heart, and he behaved himself wisely. I wonder if part of that was because he was a worshiper. He was in tune with the Lord, and so when it was time to make decisions or to yield to the flesh, he might have wanted to be like, get angry and, all the stuff that we would all be tempted to do, but because he was a worshiper, I just wondered if that was tempered, hugely tempered by a stronger desire to please the Lord. And he behaved himself wisely and just kept passing the test. And at 30 years of age, then he gets into the position of king. And now for the next 40 years, 30 years of prep for 40 years of reigning. Now for the next 40 years, he's got to be faithful as a boss. He's got to be faithful as the king. He's got to care for the people. He's gotta do all the stuff he'd been training to do all of these years. Stay strong in the basics, fight battles against bullies, mentor, model, encourage the broken-hearted brave, strengthen the brave, and lead my people. And he made a difference. You know, there's this phrase out there, which is an interesting one, I think it's fitting for what we're talking about here. This idea that go where you're celebrated, not tolerated. Have you heard that phrase? There's something about that. There's something about saying, Lord, you know what? I'm gonna be the kind of person, the kind of boss, or the kind of person being faithful with the brave or the bullies. I'm gonna be the kind of person that I'm gonna celebrate others. I'm not gonna be envious or jealous like Saul. I'm not gonna be a pay you back kind of person. No, I'm just gonna celebrate. I'm gonna celebrate people. I'm gonna be the kind of person that celebrates the success, the achievement, the gifts, the season, the person, of those around me. Isn't there something nice about going somewhere that you're celebrated, not tolerated? You, you don't have, like church for an example would be a good place to feel that way, among other places. But where you go, and it's like, you know people aren't looking at you half sideways. Like why are you here, who are you, what are you doing? I'm jealous, I'm envious, I don't like you. You have more followers than me. <laughs> it's just funny to me. No, I celebrate. Don't tolerate, we celebrate. Let's, can we please make Valley Family Church a place where people are celebrated, not tolerated? Where you, you don't get it out there anywhere. When you come to church, you gotta feel like, yay, I'm with my people, I'm with my troop, I'm with my crew, I'm with people that care about me, people that love me. No matter what season of faithfulness I'm in, I'm amongst friends. I mean, it really, it really does go to our, to our tagline as a church. There's no place like home, There's nothing like family, and you belong here. Boy, there's something about that. What are we talking about? You can make a difference. You are making a difference. It's the journey, it's the process, it's the finish line. Be faithful in the basics, be faithful with the bullies, be faithful with the brave, and be faithful as a boss. And just see what kind of eternal fruit God can produce through you. This is how this works.